I'm happy to see each and every one of you here today. Title today is Nothing Too Hard for God. Interestingly enough, on the radio this morning, a verse was read that basically tells us that from, I believe it was Jeremiah 32. Our text, if we're to have a text today, is Luke 1.37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And our primary scripture is found in the book of Mark, incident of the fig tree. This was in the last week of Jesus' life when they were staying up at Bethany area and they would come into Jerusalem each day. Mark 11, we begin with verse 14. Let's go back to verse 12. 11, 12. And on the next day, when they were come from Bethany, he, that is Jesus, was hungry. And seeing a fig tree way off, having leaves, he came if maybe there might be anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, because the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and he said to it, no man eat fruit from you hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now that's interesting that he would have said that. We believe there's more to it than what meets the surface here. We believe it was a picture of Israel being like that tree, having an outward appearance, but not really producing fruit for God. They had many sins. And Jesus placed this curse on the fig tree. Well, what happened? Later on, we drop down now to verse 19. When the evening was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, so this be the next morning, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, says to him, Teacher, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. Jesus answering says to them, have faith in God. So he's using it also as an illustration here of trusting God. For I tell you assuredly that whoever shall say to this mountain, be removed and be thrown into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that these things which he says shall happen He shall have whatever he says. Therefore, I tell you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. In Matthew, we find the same account, basically. Chapter 21, verse 22 tells us, by believing, all things are possible to him who believes. And so although we believe the fig tree has a beautiful 
picturesque meaning, we also believe that it's a great example of faith, trusting God for things that are impossible to man. With God, nothing shall be impossible, as our text in Luke 1.37 says. Some time ago, I gave a message on Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, we find out how true these things are. Something about God's almighty power. There were very mighty miracles, three in that chapter, Mark 5. First of all, there was a demon-possessed man. He lived among the tombs, the graves, in the cemetery. And he would yell out and he'd scream and he'd cut himself. And they tried to bind him with like chains, fetters, and he just broke them. He was so strong in a supernatural kind of way. Nobody could tame him. He'd yell and scream. And there he was, the bane of the community. But Jesus came on the scene. Nobody could help him, but Jesus could help him. And Jesus commanded the demons to leave. And as you read in that chapter, Mark 5, you'll find that they asked permission to go into the pigs. Jesus let them do that. Pigs ran down into the ocean, into the sea, the Sea of Galilee, and they were drowned. There were about 2,000 of them. This man was really terribly possessed, but the demons were thrown out. The man then was clothed afterwards, sitting quiet in his right mind. Demons no longer had that control over him. He wanted to be with Jesus, and Jesus said, go on home and tell the people what I've done for you. He wants us to go and share what he's done for us, how he's forgiven us, how he helps us, how our lives are enriched every day, how he's promised us someday to be with him forever and ever. So in Mark 5, we find a great example of the mighty power of the Lord. But as we read further in this chapter, we discover that he's called to help a girl who was very sick. Turns out later she had died. But on the way, there was a lady. She got it into her head if she could just grasp his robe, the bottom, the craspedon, then she would be healed of this disease she had. For 12 years, she'd had a hemorrhage of blood, an issue of blood. She'd gone to doctors. <laughs> They'd bled her dry, as you might say, of finances. But she was no better whatsoever. In fact, it says she was worse after 12 years. But she figured, if I could only get to Jesus, but there are people all around him, pretty hard. She had to force her way, as it were, through the crowd to get to Jesus. But she made it, and she grabbed the craspedon of the robe, and she felt then God's power in her body. 
She felt healed. She knew God had answered her prayer. But she'd done it in a secret kind of way. And Jesus stopped, and he said, who touched me? The disciples figured, well, that's a funny question. Look, people are pushing against you. Everybody's touching you, basically. Somebody touch me. And the lady then admitted she's the one who had the touch of faith. She's the one who had touched him in a very special way. A picture of how we need to come in contact with the living Lord, with the Lord Jesus. The touch of faith. She believed. She was healed. And so she admitted to what had happened. So he spoke not a word of curse upon her, which she was perhaps afraid he might do, but a word of blessing. She was to go in peace. She would be healed. She had a new life in front of her without this horrible hemorrhage of 12 years. So that was a mighty miracle as well. But then he learned that the girl he was going to heal, she had died. But he went on anyway. He got there. They were making wailing and all that kind of thing because she died. And Jesus said, she sleeps. And they just laughed him to scorn. They made fun of him. They knew she was dead. But you see, sleep is a term of hope. We sleep and then we wake up. We rise again. So Jesus basically kicked everybody out except some of his select disciples and the mother and father of the girl. And so he goes into the bedchamber where she's lying dead. And he tells her, girl, get up. The mighty power of God worked upon her and she was healed and she got up. The people had made fun of him when he said, she sleeps, she's not dead. Well, it was a term of hope, now she's alive. A great, mighty miracle again. Three tremendous miracles by the mighty power of God. Demon-possessed man, woman with hemorrhage for 12 years, and a dead daughter. He is greater than all these things, all these problems. Nothing is too hard for God. But do we have the faith that he encourages us to have? Do we have the faith that he used the fig tree as an example that we need to trust in God. God had promised Abraham that he would have a child in his old age and his wife was well past the age of having children. And she heard about it and she laughed. And God <laughs> asked Abraham, her old husband, is anything too hard for God? You can find that in Genesis 18, verse 14. It's a good question. Is there really, when you come right down to it, anything too hard for God? 
he who spoke a word and creation appeared, he who made the galaxies, he who keeps them all going, he who is God of the subatomic realm, mighty miracles, is anything too hard for Almighty God? There's one thing, though, that he won't do. <clears throat> it tells us in the New Testament, God cannot lie. <laughs> so yes, in one sense, there is something too hard. He's not going to go against his character. <laughs> he will not lie. But as far as his great power, he can do anything. And so we are to depend on God. God is alive. God is real. God is eternal. We are to depend on the living God. He's called the living God many places in the scripture. There was a philosopher many years ago by the name of Nietzsche. He said, God is dead. <laughs> How does it stand today? It stands that Nietzsche is dead, but God is very much alive. He's the living God, the almighty God, the one on whom we are to depend, the one on whom we are to trust, as we sang, as the bulletin indicates today. Let's look at a few places in the scripture where it talks about God being alive. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. See, we trust the living God. In Psalm 42, the first part of verse 2, Psalm 42, beginning of verse 2, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And so there God is called as one who is alive. And then in Matthew 16, 16, that great historical incident of Jesus and the apostles. He asked them, who do people say that I am? Well, they gave some answers what people were saying about him. But then he said, who do you say that I am? Peter, who liked to talk a lot, this time he said something really good. Sometimes he said some kind of dumb stuff. But this time he said, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus told him that God had revealed this to him. You see, the living God had told him, helped him know that Jesus was more than a man, more than a prophet. He was God's son the Holy Anointed One. He's called the living God in 
1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning about the middle of verse 9. Paul is writing inspiredly to the Thessalonian Christians. He says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So there he calls God not only true, but the living God, the real, genuine God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. The Bible makes a lot about the resurrection, and rightly so. That is Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. So he's called the living God here in this passage. Also in 1 Timothy 4, 10, if you want to look that up, you'll find there's another place he's called the living God. So again, people may say God is dead. People may claim that God does not exist. But the reality is he's the eternal living God. People die. God never dies. God always has been. He is the great I am that I am. He always is. He always will be. And we are to trust in that living God, that true God, that God who has done these mighty things, who has accomplished our salvation by dying on the cross for our sins. That's, in one sense, a mighty miracle as well. And God has maintained his justice, and yet he is able to righteously forgive us as we trust in him. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. It's a gift, a gift of God's grace. And so we're to trust God, not only to forgive our sins, but we're to trust him if we get sick or if something happens to us. Some of you know that yesterday my wife was walking on the trail and she accidentally fell down. And when we were driving here this morning, we were both grateful to God that she didn't really injure herself seriously. And she can be with us today. But we're to trust God when things like that and even more serious things happen. I remember two and a half years ago, she rolled down the hill and that wasn't so easy. She had to be in the hospital for four days and felt the effects of that for a long, long time. But in sickness and in accidents, we're to trust God, to leave it in his hands, to thank him for his healing. I was thinking earlier today, and I thought this before, what if our bodies didn't heal? I have a couple things that I nicked myself on in the last two or three weeks. What if all through our lives nothing ever healed? <laughs> I guess we'd look pretty awful and be in terrible shape. But God makes it so that normally our bodies do heal. Healing is a wonderful blessing from God. And so in sickness and in accidents, in sorrow also, especially when a loved one dies, we can really be upset by it. And it's okay to be upset, to lament. Tells us in the book of Acts that when Stephen, first martyr, was stoned to death, 
They took him out and they buried him and they made great lamentation for him. They really cried and it, it hit them hard. But we have to let God bring us healing in the time of sorrow. Sometimes healing takes a while, but we gotta let him heal our hearts. When I was pastoring the church in Los Angeles, remember there was a lady whose son had died. And I think it was several months later when I was visiting her, perhaps I visited her early too, I don't totally remember, but what I do remember is like a half a year later, I was visiting her, and she still was thoroughly lamenting. So, so much into, she wasn't letting it go. And so I tried to encourage her. We have to get to that point. Yes, we lament, yes, we're sorry, but we have to trust God, even in that situation, and allow God to heal our hearts, and that we might carry on. That person who has gone on would, I'm sure, want us to carry on and not have our lives totally ruined from there on. And if the person is a Christian, we have a great reason to be healed because then we know they are in a better spot. The other day, one of our neighbors asked my wife something. Basically, it was this. If God were here in this room today and asked you if you would like to go to heaven or would you rather stay here, what would you say? How would you answer something like that? What if God asked you right now, would you rather go to heaven or would you rather stay here? Actually, Paul dealt with that. In the book of Philippians, here's a great answer to that question. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 23. I'm in a strait or it's like I'm being pulled two ways. I'm in a straight between two things. Number one, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So Paul says, I would like to be with Christ. I have a desire that I might leave this world, that I might go to heaven and be with the Lord. He said, that's a lot better. But on the other hand, in verse 24, he says, nevertheless, to stay in the flesh is more needful for you. It's better for you that my spirit does not leave the body but stays in the body because of what I can do to help you. So in a sense, Paul is answering that question. Yes, I have a desire to depart. It's a lot better. But on the other hand, I have a job to do down here (laughs) to help you. You can ask June how she answered if you want. She answered in a good way, I think, that basically was like Paul would have said here. But people do think about things like that. For the Christian, our destination is determined by God. It's to be with Christ, like it says here. It's to go to heaven. 
to live with him forever and ever and to serve him? That's a question, too, sometimes people ask. What will we do in heaven for all these years? In Revelation chapter 22, it tells us that we shall serve him. So it's not idle nothingness. It's not a place of boredom. It's a place of active service and love and praise to God. But you know, many, many people are afraid of death. Christian need not be, but many people are, sometimes even Christians. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, talks about that in verse 15. But I'd like to build up to verse 15 by beginning with verse 14. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He, Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same, so that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is to say the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. People throughout their lives are subject to bondage because they're afraid of death. So they don't want to think about it. They don't want to face it. But as we saw in the preceding verse, God gives us victory over death through the Lord Jesus. And what about this whole thing then of death and sorrow and sickness? It's dealt with directly in Revelation chapter 21. (laughs) Revelation 21 Verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, because the former things are passed away. A great passage of victory, a great reason to trust continuously in the living God. There are also verses that deal with God's mercy. We're to trust in him for his mercy, for his grace, for that which we don't deserve, for his help in all things. On your outline, there are two or three scriptures that you might like to look up later about God's mercy that he offers and he gives to us. His faithfulness is great, as it says in Lamentations 3, and his mercies are new, his compassions are new each day. And so then we come to this. We're to trust God now and always. It's interesting that one of the songs was called Always, (laughs) and that's true. I'd written that down here. In all things, always. We're to trust God in all things. One final verse. In Isaiah 12, 2, it tells us, Behold, look, God is my salvation, my deliverance, that is. I will trust in him 
and not be afraid, it goes on to tell us. Look, God is my salvation. I will trust in him and not be afraid. We need not fear. He's with us. He will help us. We have the great privilege, the great opportunity of trusting in him, of resting upon him throughout our lives. Not only to forgive us, but to help us day by day. And then to promise, as we have seen, someday when we leave this world, we'll be with Christ. That can happen in one of two situations. It can happen when we die. But if Jesus comes first and we're still alive, then it happens at that point. And we don't have to die. We get the new body and we're changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye. And through it all, we're to trust God. We're to trust him to help us, to guide us throughout our lives, and then to take us to be with him, to live for him, to serve him forever and ever. To him be all glory and praise and honor. And may we so live our lives. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you so much for all these glorious and wonderful and undeserved promises of your sacred scriptures. Thank you that Jesus came from heaven to earth, that he emptied himself. He lived as a man, a person, then he died, the Lamb of God, for the sins of the world. Lord, thank you for this great, immeasurable act of love and grace. Thank you that you keep forgiving us as we confess our sins and our fellowship is restored with you. We admit that we have sinned, that we are sinners, but we thank you for your righteousness and your salvation for your forgiveness and your promises. Lord, we would, at this moment, give ourselves to you. Help us, Lord, to fully trust at all times and always. In Jesus' wonderful, precious, and powerful name we pray. Amen.